politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen yearning to breathe free air again to the one and only CR podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house today, October the 12th, Tuesday. And it is a great time to fight for liberty. This is when it's all going down. The science, the lies are coming due. The legislative sessions are going to begin. Last night, Greg Abbott was finally pressured by Don Huffines, who's challenging him in a primary, to declare a ban on all entities from mandating the vaccine in the state. But will it have teeth? Will there be follow-through? Remember, the system gets what the system wants. That is the important thing to remember. I want to start off today with some philosophical points and parlay that into the news of the day. And then we're going to have a special guest on today talking about just how scary these experimental shots are. Someone who's been involved in drug development for many years, showing how all the stop signs and caution signs were ripped off their hinges to grease the skids for this terrible, terrible shot. And just the degree of the problems that we're having that are not getting quantified. Truly, truly scary. Primo Levi. One of, someone in the audience sent this to me. Here's a quote for you. You know, because a lot of people are saying, well, how dare you compare this to the Holocaust? And we always say we're not comparing what is going on right now to six million people dying in Auschwitz. We're comparing it to Germany in the, in, in the 1930s, and we don't want to get to that position and the more we say oh it's not going to get to that position the more we wind up getting to that position and then well it's not going to go the next next tranche the next uh um step the next thing no 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 it won't do that and guess what we get there anyway so this is very scary but here's the quote it didn't start with the gas chambers. It didn't start with crematoria. It didn't start with concentration and extermination camps. It didn't start with 6 million Jews who lost their lives. Nor did it start with the other 10 million who died, including Poles, Ukrainians, Belarusians, Russians, Yugoslavs, Roma, disabled people, political dissidents, prisoners of war, Jehovah's Witnesses, and homosexuals. It started with politicians dividing people between us and them. It began with the speeches of hatred and intolerance in the streets through the media. It began with promises and propaganda aimed only at increasing consensus. It began with laws that distinguished people based on race and skin color. It began with children expelled from school because they were children of people of another religion. It began with people deprived of their possessions, their loved ones, their homes, their dignity. It began with the cataloging of intellectuals. It began with ghettoization and deportation. And you look at what is going on in Australia. And you look at what is going on in the blue states, only a step behind that. And then the red states, only a step behind that. Thomas Jefferson wrote in 1774, right when the budding revolution was reaching the point of no return. Single acts of tyranny may be ascribed to the accidental opinion of a day. But a series of oppressions begun at a distinguished period and pursued unalterably through every change of ministers to plainly prove a deliberate system, systematical plan of reducing us to slavery. And you see what's going on throughout administrations. It doesn't matter. The system gets what the system wants. We need to change our game. We need national divorce. But in order to get to there, we need to make state legislatures great again. We need to make red states red again. That's where you could sign up for conaction.network to join one of our teams. Particularly, I need team leaders in Texas and Arkansas. Texas is going to have a special session. They're working on um, they're working on redistricting. I think they're on the federal maps, but the state maps will come later. And maybe by next week, they're going to get to COVID stuff. This is our chance to reorient reorient our response towards truth, towards holding those who did this accountable, towards compassion, science, treatment, away from tyranny, control, and despotism. 
I want to start out today with a story from last night. And it's not, there's nothing unique about the pharmacy I was in last night because I can tell you this is happening in every single pharmacy. I'd be surprised if there's one where it's not happening. So I was at a pharmacy pick up to pick up routine stuff. And one after another, I saw people who looked like my age, 30s, 40s, whatever, saying, I'm here for a booster shot. So when, when, when I got up to the pharmacist to get my prescription, I said, hey, you know, I'm just, I'm just curious. It's, it, you know, do, you, do you ask for proof that people are under, people are over 65? And, you know, I mean, a pharmacy tech, I guess, one of the workers there. And she smiled and it was, well, you know, it's proof for other conditions under 65. I was like, well, do you ask for proof of those conditions? She smiles, no. And people were, I knew this, people were going in even before it was even brought before the FDA, and the FDA didn't approve it. They affirmatively disapproved it, and then even when the CDC overturned it, it was only for certain people. So here you have a shot that is being discontinued in the Moderna form for everyone in Iceland, for people under 30 in all these states, because of myocarditis. You have so many dangerous things. And I said, wait a minute, all this stuff is going on, and you have no... Um, accountability, no regime where you vet it out. You'll hand it out like candy. People could come for a fourth shot, a fifth shot. They were coming. I know people were coming for third shots two months ago, three months ago. It was a joke. And yet, an FDA-approved drug, right? This, this is not approved by the FDA, by the way. But an FDA-approved drug won the Nobel Prize. Someone has COVID. You have no other option for them. They could have gotten the shots already, and they're getting sick. And you'll deny that. And she just smiles. Because it's a joke. Because everyone knows the system gets what the system wants. It's not the rule of law. You're even their convoluted things. Meaning, even within their convoluted system, if it's wink and nod to the system, this is everything. The vaccine is, and I shouldn't call it a vaccine because it's not, that's the rainbow flag. That's BLM. This is the highest order of men. Wink and nod. Give it out like candy. Rules don't apply. And conversely, if it's something that is protected by law and science and everything, it doesn't matter. If the system's against it, they'll block it. That's what we're up against. There's no... Facts don't matter. Laws don't matter. Even the ad hoc administrative... You know, fiat doesn't matter. It's a wink and a nod to the media, the big boards, big businesses. If they decide they want to do something, they're going to do something. That's the reality. It's a very powerful lesson. Whoever displays power more wins. If you imbue in society that this is the way you be the, you're able to achieve the, the greatest level of humanity, then they're going to do everything they can to enable, hey, you want it? Take one, take two, take red, take blue. Whatever you want. Whatever you want. The only thing they won't do is make it over the counter just because, you know, then they can't track who got what. And we'll, we'll talk about that with our guests later today. But this is what I want to get to Texas. Texas is now ground zero. Texas is where the governor officially finally said he's going to end all mandates, including private sector. And like I told you, this is why conservative pressure and primaries matter. I've been yelping this for 15 years. Look at what Don Huffines has done in Texas. We would have never gotten that had, had he not been challenged in a primary but even that here's what i'm driving at even that it's rhetoric how do you put teeth in it as of now they can't do it southwest is located in texas how is it happening just like the way they say we're banning mass mandates and they happen anyway because it, it doesn't work by the rule of law a governor could say you have to wear a mask and they'll all, they'll beat the hell out of people to do it. Then let's say he says, you're not allowed, let's say he reverses it. You're not allowed. Well, no, because then the system, the system's not with you. You need teeth in it. 
This is what we're going to work with, with the state legislature. And one of my ideas is it has to come with basically you're not allowed to do it. But if somehow an employee winds up getting the shot because of some sort of intimidation and coercion, you will be held liable for workplace injury. That is, I think, the most potent way of getting through them. We need a bill banning pharmacies from blocking any FDA-approved uh, drug prescribed by a physician. We need to have like a $500,000 fine. And if um, anyone gets sick from COVID and it progresses because they couldn't get a prescription, they could have a cause of action. These are the type of things we need to push. Again, as the days go on, I am going to... Um, I am going to create a better list of action items for our teams, what you need to push with your state legislatures. But now is the time. Get on the phone with your state legislature and say, this is the Super Bowl for you. This is the Super Bowl of liberty. There's nobody standing for us. You're a red state. You have super majorities. Get in session. You're in session anyway for redistricting soon. This is much more important. You got to protect liberty you got to ban mandates you got to have a patient bill of rights in the hospitals you have to reorient the billions of dollars you're getting from the federal government that's being used to promote fascism to promote the clot shots to promote remdesivir to promote horrible hospital treatment instead needs to promote good treatment and instead also needs to be used to protect federal workers and others being fired with unemployment, get them jobs, bulk up your your state um, military, make a state National Guard, as I talked about last week. And again, I am not for, obviously, growing government as a whole. But if they're getting that money anyway, anyway, the bottom line is we need independence. So you're going to have to build up the red states in certain ways. Now, you have to be careful what you build up, which type of agencies and for what. But... You know, again, the classic example is Texas should take the... Texas got $16 billion in COVID funding. Fund a border patrol. You need personnel? Invite all of the persecuted agents to join Texas Border Patrol. Simple idea. And, um, you know, we're going to be pushing this with Don Huffines in the state legislature to come. Today's show is sponsored by Better Spectacles. On this show, I pride myself on giving you guys a 2020 vision, seeing ahead of the curve, seeing crystal clear. Well, I happen to have bad eyesight, physical eyesight. That's why I turned to Rodenstock. It's a 144-year-old German company. They, they hold the gold standard of eyewear with over 500 patents. Um, their GoSpecs lenses uses advanced algorithms with more than a million patients, measuring 7,000 points in the eye. The result, more energy, no neck strain, and the ability to help you see up to 40% better. My wife and I love our GoSpecs lenses. If you want a pair for yourself, go to betterspectacles.com conservative. Schedule a tele-optical appointment. You don't even have to leave your home. You don't have to wear a mask. They're offering my audience an introductory 61% off their GoSpecs lenses Plus, free handcrafted Rodenstock frames. Visit betterspectacles.com slash conservative. Never throw a pair of eyewear into your drawer, never to be seen again. So, again, this is the time where the swords are crossing. How ironic that it was immortalized with Southwest's famous motto, you are now free to move about the country. You are now free to move about the country. That's not just a cheesy slogan. There's a lot of profundity in that. That in itself is describing Blackstone's bare minimum definition of individual liberty. Blackstone defines it as the power of locomotion, of changing situation, or removing one's person to whatsoever place one's own inclination may direct without imprisonment or restraint unless by due course of law. Imprisonment and restraint, forcing someone to not breathe on their mouth or inject them with, with, with a mechanism like this is the ultimate form of restraint that they can't move. They can't move about the country without that. That is South, Southwest's motto. Call their corporate office and remind them of their slogan. Remind them of that slogan. This is where it could all start. 
this is where it's at. So, um, wanted to also let you know I am working on trying to get you better information on where to get ivermectin. Um, I will tell you, one listener showed me there is a Telegram chat you could join. And even if you don't join it, you could read the, the messages. It's called Ivermectin Chat. So a lot of people throw out advice. And it, I'm just very reluctant to give specific places because it's hard to know. These online pharmacies, are they um, scams? I could confirm some people did get stuff from them, but you never know. I, I just I just don't know, so I'm very lo- reluctant And before I do my research and speak with people, but I am going to work with that. Um, one piece of advice before I forget I just want to give to you guys before I um, uh, bring on the guest, the special guest. So I, I noted, obviously, you should take aspirin um, right away, um, one 375-milligram aspirin as soon as you feel you get COVID. Um, you know, but then for some people, they find asp- aspirins for blood clotting, but for the fever, they, they're more into Tylenol and Advil. I'm not going to tell you it's a problem, but I've heard from already Richard Urso, Ryan Cole, Henson, a few others have told me this, that Tylenol actually depletes your uh, uh, glutathione, right? Glutathione is very important um, that's the mechanism of action of NAC, NAC, that helps with pulmonary inflammation. So Tylenol kind of works against the mechanism of action of NAC, which is one of the things you want to be taking. Um, so it's better to take Advil, but Advil, the only thing with that is sometimes when people are sick, it does harm their stomach. So you know you don't want to be throwing up or not be able to eat and certainly not be able to take the right medication and throw it up. So again, these are just things to consider. Um, it's not a no-no to take Tylenol. I'm, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world. I'm just saying I wanted to pass that information on. I've heard from enough of these experts already on that issue. But I do want to get to our special guest today. Now, typically, we've had a lot of doctors on to discuss the treatment side of things and the side effects of the vaccine. But we haven't gotten into the regulatory side the drug development side of this, all of the stop signs that were mowed over in the inexorable push to make this the new national BLM rainbow flag, except it's in your body. This is really my blind spot, and there's so many important factors to understanding what went wrong in the development or went right in their view based on what we are seeing now to take precautions against it and and what what we expect to see, what this virus does, doesn't do, um, what this vaccine does and doesn't do. Uh, Dr. Jane Ruby, our next guest, she is medical professional. She's a pharmaceutical drug development expert with over 20 years of experience in this process of actually bringing drugs to market, dealing with the FDA and the EMA. Um, she's also a published international health economist. Uh, you'll see her a lot on, on TV. Uh, she's had had a lot of viral interviews with Stu Peters, and I said to myself, man, I got to get her on my show. Um, and again, she's worked really with a lot of drug developers to create compounds dealing with depression, Alzheimer's, addiction, cardio, pulmonary. So she's got a lot to say on this, too much to say in too little time, but we're going to prioritize. Dr. Ruby, thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Daniel. It's my pleasure to be here. Great to be on your show. Man, I got it's like it's like a race. I got to get in all of your information. You're <laughs> such a reservoir. But let's start with, like I said, the stop signs that were that were cut out. Um, when you were talking with me, you uh, offered an analogy I thought was very apt. What we saw with the development and the uh, regulatory process of getting these products to market wasn't just some anomalies. It was the way you described, like you know, your heart surgeon. Okay. Um, we observe different heart surgeries. And then one day you see a doctor come in, flips a guy on his back and cuts open and enters through the back. Like, huh? A totally opposite. I know this in itself, there's a million different things they've done, but what are some of the most potent ways, most impactful, consequential ways that regulatory, cautionary yield signs and stop signs were removed in the development of this uh, vaccine? Yeah, great, great question. Uh, In order for people to understand uh, best what was missing and skipped over and how just incredibly 
unbelievable <clears throat> this this is and how important it is, it's helpful for people to understand what should what is the standard approach to developing a drug for human use. And I, and I won't get into a lot of detail, but I'll give you enough information that people can sort of, you know, then go research more on it. But essentially, when a company wants to bring a new entity to market, uh, it normally takes about 10 to 15 years and about $500 million, okay? Because there's so much involved. And, and let me just give you a visual. Um, before anything goes to trial in human beings, it has to go through rigorous animal testing. We call it preclinical. That's animals in petri dishes, right? We look for proof of concept. We look for early safety signals. If animals start to get sick or die, they have shorter lifespans, so you'll see the signals much earlier. Once a drug clears by virtue of FDA requirements, the, the minimal safety requirements, it, and, and, and the FDA gives the company then the go-ahead to go into human trials. Now, in human trials, there is a four-phase process uh, it's called phases, just what it says, phases one, two, three, and four. Uh, we're going to leave out four because that's post-marketing surveillance. That's after your drug gets approved. You are still obligated to feed back to the FDA all kinds of safety information. And there are formulas and requirements that companies have to abide by. I'm talking about normal circumstances. So let's go back to phases one, two, and three. Phase one, when you start your human trials, usually takes about 10 people. They're volunteers. They're usually 25-year-old males that are very healthy. Uh, and why? They get paid very heavily for this because they're taking a chance. It's an early uh, safety signal. They could get very, very sick because animal studies don't always translate to humans, uh, but but that's the first step. If, if the safety uh, profile uh, is still good, then uh, that information from those, those that, that – phase one, which also includes something called pharmacokinetics. What happens to the drug when it goes through your body? How long does it stay there? What's the half-life? How does your body eliminate it? Is it through your kidneys or through your urine or, or through your feces or through your skin? Um, and those kinds of questions are answered. Re what receptors uh, is the drug, does the drug have an affinity for? A lot of technical stuff, but it's very important. When you clear that phase one, and, and the FDA, again, it's another whole evaluation step, you get permission to go to stage two, phase two. You use the information from phase one to design your phase two. Phase two has a larger number of people. There are generally no comorbidities. That if you're testing something for diabetes, for example, you don't have any other diseases, and they test, they do dose finding, a low to high doses. They see what's happening. And then you go to phase three, Daniel, and phase three is critical because that's what we call in the industry pivotal, your pivotal trial. It has to be placebo-controlled, randomized. It has to be a certain duration, minimum and not maximum because that's up to the company. And, and then it's larger numbers of people in the thousands over multi-centers, either across the U.S. and or also in, in outside of the U.S. And you can see how each of those phases, you need the data to build on the next one. What we've seen here, and anyone who wants to check it out, I urge you to go to clinicaltrials.gov and look at the, um, just put in NCT 043-68728. It'll immediately take you to, for example, the Pfizer trial. You'll see everything that's laid out, and it's, it, 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 it talks about the dosages, the dose finding. You can also Google or DuckDuckGo uh, the terms um, Pfizer protocol, and I will get you the number to that protocol. Actually, I have it here. Uh, if you search um, see like cat four five nine one zero zero one. You will get online a copy of the Pfizer uh, protocol, and I want to read you the title because the title alone should scare the hell out of everyone. This is called a, and this is the same. This correlates to what you will find in clinicaltrials.gov. The title is as follows: quote a phase one slash two slash three. <laughs> Placebo-controlled, randomized, observer-blind dose-finding study to evaluate the safety, tolerability, immunogenicity, and efficacy of SARS-CoV-2 RNA vaccine candidates against COVID-19 in healthy individuals. Now, the red flag, the first red flag, there are a million in that title. You can't do all three phases at once. And the fact that the FDA allowed this tells you that the FDA is now a department advisor. It's no, it's, it's collapsed. It has collapsed as an evaluative 
gatekeeping body to make sure that companies go through the proce proper processes for evaluating drug drugs and their data to then grant them if they should so decide, you know, deem approval. Because when you get a, let me tell you another thing. You look at trials, when you look at a trial or a protocol, because I've written hundreds of protocols, original protocols for, for human studies. You, the most, one of the most important pieces in your protocol is your primary endpoint. The primary endpoint should only be one or two. You can have a million secondary endpoints, but the reason the primary endpoint is important is because if you prove your drug separates from placebo with regard to your primary endpoint, uh, you, you, you probably have a win. You're probably going to get your drug approved if, if the safety part of the study did not raise any huge red flags. Uh, if, you, all your second, if you meet all your secondary endpoints, but you don't meet your primary, you're, that's a failed study. Okay, that's a technical term, failed study. That's not me talking. So, so what we so what we have here is in their in clinicaltrials.gov in the protocol, you see the primary endpoint had to do with remember we talked about fewer hospitalizations, you're still going to get covid, but you're not going to get as sick and all that happy garbage. Well, if anybody saw the what I considered an and we can talk about it later, and the illegal or you know, improper approval of Comirnaty, which is the by the company and the FDA's own words, is the same formulation as the Pfizer-BioNTech uh, COVID-19 vaccine. So they're the two formulations, they're the same. Um, if you look at the package insert that you can download from the Pfizer website, the first thing I looked at, I had been waiting for it for weeks with all the rumors of approval. The first thing I looked at is the front page of that package insert says, Comirnaty has been approved for the indication of, ready? It says prevention of COVID-19. That wow. was never in the primary endpoint. So how did that become? Wow. And let me tell you all why the indication is wait, so wait, important. Wait, wait, and, and Dr. Jane, I just want to just pause that for a minute. And they're, they're printing this label late into the game, months after we have so much amazing data that, you know, even even the government's own position is that it's a placebo against serious illness, which is, you know, waning very much in itself and that's overblown. But certainly transmission, uh, uh, infection and transmission, getting it. We now have data from Qatar. We have data from the UK Public Health England that um, in most age groups, it's now negative efficacy in terms yeah. of infection. Let, let me let me just com complete that thought on the indication because this is very important. It's not a nuance. The reason the indication of a drug on a, on a new package insert is important is because that is traditionally the lifeblood for the company. That is your marketing label. That is how you're going to make your money back. Okay. And that's what we call on label. Okay. So here's the, here's the, here's the point that, that has, they've used to dupe the American public and the world. It is not illegal for a prescriber, a nurse practitioner or a doctor to prescribe off-label. Off-label is for an indication or a disease state that is not that for which the drug was approved. Once it's approved for efficacy and safety for one thing, you are free to prescribe it for anything you deem fit and it shouldn't be questioned. What it is illegal is for a company, this is why the indication is the lifeblood, it is illegal for companies to market their drug off-label. Exactly. Okay. So in other so words, they, Edenbridge, which is the primary maker of ivermectin in America, you know, any doctor can and should be free to prescribe and the, the pharmacist should fill it. And of course, they're violating the law. But it, the only problem would be for Edenbridge to put out commercials and saying, hey, we got a great COVID medication for you. It's illegal for the company to do that. It is not illegal for any doctor or nurse practitioner to write a prescription for it for yeah. anything other than the label. So that's the importance of on-label, off-label, and why the indication and how this thing came down. When you say, you know, these egregious things that are missing that we talked about before, these are two stunning pieces that were, that were allowed to go through uh, that I've never seen before in 20 years of, of pharmaceutical drug development. This previous to this situation was probably the most highly regulated industry on the planet and it has evaporated that oversight and protection and process has evaporated so when people say to me would you take a regular flu vaccine i wouldn't take anything are you kidding me i wouldn't take anything until this is all sorted out 
Yeah. Because there's no there's no public trust anymore. You got to be crazy. People are lining their two and three year olds up to get this, even to get a regular flu shot. I'm so gonna warn you. I'm gonna warn people ahead of time. You're gonna be very very sad and very sorry if you do that. And I think you made a very important point. I never spoke about on the show, but the phase one, two, three together. So normally you, it has to be sequential and build on each other because you start allowing the safety signals to stew. And, you know, for example, if, if we would have followed the process, you would have seen over time, wait, there's a lot of hematological issues. There's these blood disorders. And, you know, that's how you would vet that out. Um, you know, and, and, and then I want to go to the other thing I, I want to highlight that you said, very, very important. And, and this we knew from day one, but it hasn't been advertised to the public enough. They were perfectly healthy people, um, only perfectly healthy people. As many casualties as we've seen with 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds and the myocarditis, and, and I suspect it's a problem. It's a big problem. But what I suspect is an even greater problem are the very people for whom we supposedly needed the vaccine, the people with the comorbidities, the people in their 70s and 80s, the people in the nursing homes. Per the German pathology's very small study and then the Norwegian nursing home study, and then now Peter McCullough in a, in a um, lawsuit in Maine has gleaned data from from CMS coding that you know Medicare recipients 611 deaths within 28 days of taking that uh, vaccine just in the small state of Maine just among 65 plus I suspect in those people we're seeing all more even more mystery deaths but they just chalk it up to natural causes they never get reported in theirs do you think there's a lot more of that going on with older people I think there's a lot more going on than than we know. These numbers are being hidden by the government, by these collapsed agencies, and by the media, which should be strung up and hung like they were after the Nuremberg Code because they're complicit in keeping this information from the public worldwide. But let me share one other thing with you. You you did a beautiful job of, you know, sort of interpreting what I had said about how the phases need to build on each other. I want to give your audience a, a quick example. In the, in the, in the 1990s, uh, there was a very famous drug in development, which did eventually get approved, uh, called Celexa, a very famous antidepressant. The, uh, the son of Celexa was, was a, an even more famous and lucrative product called Lexapro. And I worked on the launch for Lexapro. But when I got mm. to the company in 2000, I was uh, advised of the history. And when Celexa was going through preclinical trials through the animals, there were, you know, they go through different species and then different breeds within species, okay? Different types of animals, monkeys, dogs, whatever. And during uh, Celexa's uh, preclinical trials, five beagle dogs dropped dead of a heart attack, okay? So what did the FDA do? They shut down the study completely. They told the company, go back. You have to find the, the, the cause of this before you can proceed to human trials. It took them two years, Daniel, two years. They had to stop everything. They lost a ton of money, rightfully so. And they found that it was an anomaly, a genetic anomaly, just to beagle dogs, not even to all dogs. And and then and then because of that, they were allowed to go into the human, you know, phase one of human trials. The rest is history. Uh, it did not translate to humans and all that. But what I'm saying is, you had a safeguard that was in place yes. and utilized, and five dogs died, and they shut this down. We have over at least that we know of from whistleblowers. And, and from the math we do on VAERS, when we look at the Harvard Pilgrim study that said less than 1% are really reported of vaccine adverse events, we know there's a minimum of over 50,000 deaths in the United States alone, probably another 50 to 70,000 deaths of human beings. What is the threshold to, 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 to stop this? What, it, it's very frightening to think that there doesn't seem to be a threshold so Yes, to stop there, there, There's no threshold, and, and I, man, we could talk about so much on, on the guardrail side, but I want to move this on to the next level, which I know a lot of people are excited to discuss, and I've advertised that I would bring you on and discuss this, and that is one of the things you have is quality control. What, that, that's a big thing in the regulatory process of really any product is certainly something that is going to be ubiquitously distributed to every human being. Um is quality control so that you have the you know you have a safe concoction and then once you prove that you have to make sure you have quality control that you have the same concoction 
this is something I have never thought about until fairly recently um, with, you know, the vials and, and, you know, are the concoctions the same? Because what, what, what I can't wrap my arms around is this. Typically, when you have a drug, it's prima facie safe because we wouldn't bring it to market if it weren't because of all the reasons you described. Mm -hmm. This thing, it's not a matter of side effects. It's worse than that. The, the more I understand the mechanism of action, this is utterly insane. Even before you get to the lipid nanoparticles and the other ingredients, just straight up on its base level that you're coding the body to produce an unlimited number of toxins for an unknown period of time in unknown places in your body. Um, this is the first time we've ever asked human beings to do that. And then we see right away the signals with the hematological issues, the blood issues, the cardio issues that we know are very closely related to the pathog pathogenic spike. So that's obvious. And then we see people drop dead right away. But so, so right away, to me, it makes sense. Almost everyone should die or have serious problems from this. It's not a side effect. It's straight up a poison. But here's the deal. So I understand you can have a thing that has a problem where most people, it's fine. Very rare occurrence, you have like an allergic shock. That's a typical product or vaccine or whatever. But here you have so many people having so many bizarre like lumps on their breast and menstrual cycle irregularities and things. But then, then, and this gets the important part of the politics, why so many people are bought into this. They're emotionally prepared to have a high casualty from this, and the government did a good job. And as high as it is, it's still a tiny percentage of 150, 200 million, whatever people got it. So they're not seeing it ubiquitously. It, it, it depends on the family. Some people do. But a lot of people, you know, I have issues in my family I've seen. But my parents, I know, I have not seen a problem. They didn't even get the fever, the headache, nothing from it. There's a lot of people, they get nothing from it. Seemingly, nothing happens to them. I don't understand how you could have a product that is that dangerous, and it makes sense that it should be that dangerous, but then you do have a number of people that don't have a problem. I'm teeing it up for you, Dr. Ruby. Is Are we getting different concoctions? Well, we, we can only deduce. I'm, I'm not really comfortable speculating, but I can sure. look logically from my experience, and I would say that, look at, you know, Dr. David Martin, who's just, you, you ought to have him on the show if you haven't already. Uh, he, he's a world-class uh, uh, patent, uh, you know, expert. He's followed all this stuff. He always says, has a great expression. You Let's use the words of the criminals themselves. I refer your audience back to the protocol, either on clinicaltrials.gov or the, the protocol C459-1001, where they actually talk about this as a dose-finding study. Where is an informed consent, okay, for a dose finding study? And like you, you just you just used the phrase earlier. Uh, never before have we asked human beings to do that. Well, guess what, folks? We haven't asked human beings to do it. Human beings aren't even aware. Uh, we're trying to scream it from the rooftops, but they're not even aware of what they're getting themselves into. Uh, we haven't legitimately asked human beings to take on this risk because they're not apprised of the risk. And I want to just add really quickly a couple of points. Um, uh, people need to understand out of the Nuremberg trials came the Institutional Human Subjects Review Board. What is that? It's an independent group. They're situated in universities and colleges where there's human research occurring. They also occur live outside in the community. There are independent ones like Western and Sterling. You can look them up. Uh, if they're still in existence, I've submitted tons of protocols and informed consent um, drafts to them. These are people that are they're made of ethicists, lawyers, doctors, nurses, whatever. They look it through and they, they make sure that you are going to ensure the safety of, you know, to your subjects in your trial and that you are fully disclosing everything to the person so they can make an informed choice as to whether or not to participate. This has not happened. Going to your local drugstore and getting a one-page checklist that says, oh, you might have a sore arm or a fever is not an informed consent document. I've written many of them. They're about 20 or 30 pages long. You have to disclose everything and you have to submit it to the IRB for them to scrutinize it and tell you whether or not you've disclosed enough information. And if there's anything in there, children, pregnant women, they will rip it out, okay, if it's not appropriate. So that's number one, no informed consent. Um, I want to go back to the quality control issue. Um, that's another thing that has seemed to collapse. Uh, I can tell you all that there is by the FDA's own guidance documents, go look them up on their website. 
FDA guidance documents on good manufacturing processes, on safety follow-up, on FDA spontaneous uh, inspections that are built in and are supposed to happen during the research process. And once this drug was approved, there were there are certain inspections that were supposed to take place. Where are those reports? You have to prove to them that your facility is clean, that you don't have metal pieces going into it, that your batches match, that you have validity and reliability. What does that mean? Validity that what you produce every day is indeed this formulation that you got approved by the FDA. And reliability that every time you you produce it, you have the same bioequivalence, you have the same amount, you have the you have the same absence of contaminants and things like that. This is all missing. And people should be horrified, you should be angry. And, and, and instead of scratching your heads and, and, and looking around and going, why doesn't somebody do something? Get off the couch and, and go and call the FDA, call these entities and say, why are you not following your own guidance documents? Why are you not protecting us? I mean, there's just so much blatant deviation. It, 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 I just can't even, I've never seen it before. And, and I want to say something else about the testing. The CDC itself has already recalled the PCR test, which was fraudulently validated. You know, you have, before you use a test, before you get your bone scan, before you have a, you know, a stethoscope put on you, every medical device, testing device and diagnostic device has to go through validity and reliability testing. What does that mean? Very similar to the manufacturing inspections. Every time that, when, when that test has to be validated, that it indeed does find what you want it to find, right? So COVID or the flu or diabetes or whatever. Reliability means that you've tested it so that you, you, you ensured that every time you administer that test, it does what it's supposed to do. That's validity and reliability. There, there's nothing that is legitimate out there. And the CDC itself recalled the PCR, but what they did that's going to be very frightening, it's going to add to the dark winter that's coming is more confusion because they said to labs all over the country and you can find it on their website. You, you can use, uh, you can select what, whatever you want from this list. Here's the link FDA, go look at the list. When you look at those list of options, right. To replace the PCR by December 31st, which is what they require. You see that these are all maybe 20, 30, um, replacements for the PCR that are experimental. They're under EUAs. So that means they're experimental. They've not been validated. They've not been proven to show reliability. You want to talk about confusion? We just had to deal with the confusion from one test, the PCR test, which we knew was a fraud. Now we have to, we're going to be dealing with maybe 10, 15, 20 that each lab chooses and picks. It's going to be a nightmare, Daniel. Oh my gosh. And then, and then again, with all the vaccine issues, who knows what it's picking up. Uh, from the spike and everything. Correct. Um, Correct. What do you know about spike shedding? What do you know about this vaccine? You know, everyone's asking me this. Okay, I'm not getting it. I'm scared of this thing. You know, I got a better way of dealing with this prophylactic early treatment. Fine. But, man, I'm around people that they got the spike. We know that Johns Hopkins a few years ago, they wrote about self-spreading vaccines. I talked about that yesterday. Are we seeing that? It, does this seem to spread? Here's the here's the bottom line. Um, you're going to hear a variety of opinions from a lot of my frontline colleagues. This is what I'm going to say. I don't join. I don't join the cabal. I don't. You know, they can they can answer for themselves. Okay. I'm very. I I want people to understand. The only thing we we really believe or we know is that something is transferred from the injected to those people who have not been injected and, and possibly other injected people, but you get my point. Sure. Uh, we know that because there was a document that was um, uh, either leaked or uh, uh, someone got it in a FOIA. I'm, I'm, I can't recall the exact tracing of it, but it was a Pfizer document called an investigator's brochure. It's a very big document. It prepares potential investigator or researchers who are going to conduct your study multi-center throughout the country. It prepares them for everything they need to know. And this investigator's brochure from Pfizer disclosed that there was a concern uh, that, that, that pregnant women should be careful around 
around those who were injected, or as they put it, were, were treat, had the treatment, that they could be exposed to the treatment, okay? Yes. So that tells me, as a scientist and, and a former uh, human subjects researcher, I've conducted in my own independent you know, research facilities, that tells me that something could be transferred to people who are not injected or this, and be exposed to that treatment. It does not tell me, and nobody's been able to show me scientifically or medically in terms of medical evidence, what exactly is being transferred and or how the transfer is taking place. Now, yes. you will hear, oh, it's, oh, I'm getting shedded on with spike proteins and, I, and they're doing that. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Guys, I'm an analyst by trade. Pull yourself back. What evidence is there? that spike proteins are jumping. I mean, it could be, Daniel, but I nobody knows that yet scientifically. And how does it, there's a little bit of indication in that, that Pfizer document that it had to do with inhalation or skin contact. Skin, skin contact, yeah. That's a huge clue. But again, I don't know if skin contact is through sweat. I don't know if it's just hugging somebody. People have reported in the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds to both me and Stu Peters because I'm the medical contributor on his show. So we work together quite a bit on this. They, by the hundreds, have reported symptoms after being in the same room but not touching people. Uh, that could be inhalation, depending on how close they are. And and a lot of people have said, I've hugged, I've sat, I've had dinner with people, I've held hands, pop, 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 you know, and, and I and I came away with, you know, headaches. Dr. Zandre Batha from South Africa, who broke the most recent expose of, you know, these, these very strange uh, materials that are in the black discs, uh, after handling this J&J vial over, you know, a number of days and, and, you know, at a drop at a time and examining it with gloves, with a mask, uh, she became, you know, ill uh, to the point, I mean, noticeably ill. This is a physician. So she knows when she's ill and she, she, she tried to, you know, she took some alternative treatments like ozone therapy and, and all that. And she has listed it on her website for people who want to know what the regimen is. She did feel a little bit better, but what I'm saying is, but, but where's um, the website? It's a uh, Dr. Zandre Batha. It, mm -hmm. her name is spelled, um, Z a N D R E like Andre with a Z in front of it. And Batha is B like boy. O like Oliver T like Tom H. Uh, a, like Apple. So okay, Dr. I just Zandre. want our listeners to be able to look it up. Okay. Sure. So what I'm saying is, and, and that's a whole other, you know, uh, in, bit of information that's helpful. But the point, the point of the story is we've got skin contact, inhalation. But, and the other thing that the, that the public should be concerned about is why aren't you, you know, calling these companies and demanding the disclosure? People are dying. You know, babies are bleeding. I mean, I mean, why aren't people demanding an explanation and full disclosure? It, it just baffles my mind. Um, people who are so concerned about GMO and I'm vegan and I don't eat this and I want to <laughs> eat, I don't eat. The, the, oh my God. But these are people tripping over themselves to get a, 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 an experimental undisclosed. We don't know everything that's in there yet. We just know some very frightening things. Exactly. And and we and what we do know is, like you said, all of the guardrails have been ripped out. So anything could be ruled in until it's ruled out. And that's that's the problem. We flipped it on its head. I know you're out of time. So we're gonna have to do another show altogether on Monopiravir. I want to really get into the development of that at some point with you. But I know you got to run real quickly. This is kind of breaking today. And you just talked about it with Stu, could you just give us a little bit of the update on the what, where, when, who of this Delta pilot who you say died in flight? Yes. Um, there have been a lot of flights diverted lately. Let me just give you a little background. Um, if people, people can check these out through apps and there are a lot of aviation tracking systems. Uh, they can't hide everything. Uh, there've been a growing number of diversions of pilots and flight attendants feeling very ill in flight. Um, many of them write to me and they write to Stu as well. And I mean, by the hundreds, Daniel, and they, they say that they don't know that others are writing to us, right? So we are in a unique situation. I'm sure other people who are, you know, trying to get the truth out are getting communications from, from folks inside the industry, the airline industry as well. But when you get like 40, 50 emails from different 
you know, across airlines. Okay. People don't know that they're writing, you know, alongside other people and, and they're telling you the similar stories. Um, people who are unjabbed, uh, flight attendants saying, you know, when I know I'm, I'm, I come on board and I've got a fully vaxxed, you know, uh, crew, fellow crew members, I just get really sick. A lot of flight attendants are telling us that they're getting the bell, you know, that somebody rings the bell more frequently, multiple passengers, saying very quietly, I, I don't feel well, my heart is racing. Um, and, and there's, the, the, you put these pieces together that they've recently gotten the shot within the last week or two, um, whether it's a flight attendant or a fellow flight attendant or passengers, this is happening more and more. We predicted it. We knew it would happen <clears throat> as the airlines, um, forced the, the mandate on more and more employees. We, it's just logical that more and more of them are going to be reporting this. And then the other issue is relative to this specific issue that the specific report that a Delta pilot recently, and it was reported to be within the last couple of weeks was in flight. Uh, the co-pilot uh, said the report from the witness uh, said that the pilot uh, was speaking normally with him and then uh, said something that was a little unintelligible, didn't make sense, and then moments later collapsed. Uh, and so that co-pilot, thank God it only takes one to, 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 uh, to land a plane safely, a commercial jet, they're trained. Uh, and, and so the co-pilot was able to safely land the plane, but it required a diversion and a, a notice you know, to put ATC on notice that they had an emergency landing request, and then they were do, guided. Do you know where it was diverted? We do not. Okay. Well, these witnesses um, will just wait and see what they want to do. This is us reporting on what's been provided. Yeah. If they are, you know, if and when they are willing to come forward with more of the details, um, we will definitely bring it to the public. But they are, you know, um, let's just leave it at that right now. Because, again, we're, we're not the whistleblowers. We are reporting what they have told not only us, but they've actually disclosed it to a number of others. And so uh, apparently from what they've been able to tell us, um, three flight attendants and the co-pilot supposedly were the only ones that witnessed it. Um, And so we'll see what other information we can get. But um, I think as this comes out more and more, I think we'll. St- what normally happens is that more and more people step up because they realize it's not an isolated incident. They've had that happen themselves on their own flights. Um, but I can tell you that flight crews are very frightened right now because they know it's happening in the oh. air. Yeah. So again, it's not just the disruption of people who don't want to get the shot and are going on strike. It's you know a certain number are biting the bullet and they're getting it. And you have an inordinate amount. And even if it's a small percentage, but as we've noted, it's not a small percentage like infinitesimal, like we usually tolerate. It's like, I don't, I'm don't. i making up a number, but 1%. Let's say 1% would have problems. That's a small percentage. But, you know, out of all the flights, that's a lot of people in a very, very um, stressful and impactful moment. Um, because, you know, you could even if you're a healthcare worker, you collapse all right in the hospital or whatever. Um, but if you're flying a plane, that's that's a different story. Um, I could tell you someone within our family here at the Blaze got the shot, um, not because of us, certainly. We don't have a, a mandate, but, you know, he had to do something else that required it. And he normally has a low heart rate, 55. The next day, it went to 120. And I was getting ready to call Ryan Cole to try to help out and whatever. I did subside the next day. But, again, that's my point. If it does that to some people, what else is it doing that we don't even know? And what you've told us today is – that's exactly the point. We wouldn't know because they took off all the signals, guardrails, and protocols to ensure well, and, that and, we and, would know. Yes, absolutely. And, and in closing, I I, I, I do want to say what I usually say when I start an interview, which is for, for everybody out there, uh, you have to understand this is not a vaccine by any definition. I don't care how many times the CDC wants to play with the definition. This is not a vaccine. This does not confer immunity, does not confer any kind of protection. In fact, it actually does the opposite. It injects you with a genetic code that forces your body to make a pathogenic, a synthetic computer generated chimeric molecule that is as a code to force your body to make a synthetic uh, toxic pathogen from a modeled coronavirus 
and as such, um, it's 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 has an affinity for certain tissues like brain tissue, cardiac tissue, and that's why you're seeing myocarditis and cardiac, you know, uh, tachycardia, like your colleague and things like that. Um, people need to stop and step back, step back. And 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 Band- Daniel, one other thing I wanted to mention because you did ask me the question in, in part of your 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 layup earlier. You asked about why people are really confused as to why there are big chunks of people that don't have any side effects yes. seem to be going along fine. I want to go back to those those protocols. They're telling you what they're doing in plain sight. The protocols are dose finding. In the NCT number I read for clinicaltrials.gov, there are eight arms. That means eight different, you know, people grouped into eight arms of the study. Now, I don't know if they've expanded that. Uh, Remember, under the EUA, they have the right to change the formulation at any time to change dosing, to move it around, to move it without disclosing it and without letting the public know. And I believe that that has pretty much happened. But you will see the evidence yourself for why some people don't have any symptoms right now uh, because they may have been under a low dose, like five micrograms, 10 micrograms. Remember, Comirnaty was approved at 30 micrograms. That's the adult dose. I don't see any modified doses for people under 18. And they're about to try to stick this in five to 11-year-olds. And yep. they're going to go after six months to four-year-olds. And you've got to stop it. Okay? And that's going to be with the 30 milligrams? I don't know, Daniel. It's they're not disclosing it, but they do in those eight arms. I want to end with this. They do have they lay out in the eight arms that they go as high as 100 micrograms. You don't know if you're getting placebo, 30 micrograms, 100 micrograms. And there was discussion in the in the protocol uh, somewhere uh, where they were thinking about testing 250 micrograms. You know, God help us. But to be clear, Dr. Jane, to be clear, we don't know. But do you believe that? Pfizer does know, and there is a traceable number on each vaccine you get. So when you have that woman in Washington State that became very famous, 37-year-old mother, um, dropped dead, the obituary was censored on Twitter, that woman, they know the number that she got. They, they, yes, they, 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 they send it out. It seems like they send it out randomly. They might send out placebo to big chunks, counties or something. That's why you'll hear people say, well, gee, nobody in my city. I mean, I have, I know tons of people or whatever, my little town, uh, who knows, Daniel, they're not disclosing it, but, um, yeah. And you could get anything at any, at any time. That's the scary thing about it. Unbelievable. Where could people find your work? Mostly on Telegram because I've been censored everywhere else. I don't do as much news on Instagram uh, or Gab because I just don't, you know, I've got like two or 3,000 followers on Gab. What's up with that? And I've got 50,000 followers on Telegram. So I feel like it. I can help get the word out more exponentially with that many followers on the Telegram. I think a lot of people get to see the information um, from there. So uh, yeah, or they can write to me at, if they have tips. Um, please don't send me videos and things like that that are my colleagues like Dr. Tenpenny or Dr. McCullough. We talk every day. We're, we're all connected. Um, it just takes more. I'm getting five or 600 emails a day, and it sure. just takes me longer to get through it. So it's best only to send me a Proton Mail. It's Dr. Jane Ruby at Proton Mail. If you have a tip or something, even that you want to get, you know, that you have that might relate to something on Stu's show medically, because as I said, you know, I'm the medical contributor on his show, and, and so I'm on there three days a week we try to you know work to, we definitely work together but we try to get the information collated and that's an absolutely terrific show i certainly recommend it and thank you so much uh for joining us today dr ruby we're really looking forward to having you back again oh thanks for having me daniel it's been an honor and just be careful everyone just just let's stop this whole thing before it gets into babies and children amen now is the time to fight take care god bless Wow. So, folks, that was pretty riveting with Dr. Jane Ruby. Um, I know she spoke quickly because we were trying to get out so much information. This is always a challenge we have when I get a new guest and this is their first time and there's just so much to broach in that first time. I, I never know where to get. She has a lot to say on the development of remdesivir and molnupiravir um, and this other stuff I wanted to get to. But, but yeah, this is pretty scary. There is no... We have no reason to believe that all the vials are the same. We just don't know. But the point is, you look at their trials and what they've done. It's unbelievable, this stuff. Phase one, phase two, phase three, all together. Straight up there. The label. The label. This is the big thing. Oh, they're licensed. They have a label. You look at the label. Say, for prevention of COVID. 
Do you know that violates the federal law they actually just passed? They they designed it against us, you know, for marketing stuff that they feel they don't want, like ivermectin or vitamin D or whatever. Um, but you are not allowed to falsely sell something as um as protecting against COVID. It doesn't. That's their own position. They say it's just, you know, it lessens the symptoms, which is no longer true anymore. And today I have a very important piece out um, that has uh, tons of data. Look at my latest column. Cutter has a study showing negative 44% efficacy of the vaccine on transmission um, after seven months. Uh, this is Pfizer, I believe, and uh, the efficacy against serious illness really plummets after six months uh, beyond belief. So now people have been already nine months, some even 10 months into this, nothing doing. There's a lot more on the main data. I'm going to write about that. It's sad. I mean, I'm hearing it more and more from people, people that, and, and not even necessarily people that were 80, 90, but like 65, 70, where they just rapidly decline or they die very suddenly. And, and, and there's just so much of this going on. And, you know, again, die of blood clots. We're seeing that a lot. And it's like, really? I mean, it could happen. It could be natural. But all of them, you know, it, it doesn't make any sense. And now that we already have the signals, again, I actually think the myocarditis in the younger people, as appalling as it is, as insane as it is, I mean, some uh, people, it's, it's 19 times the base, the background uh, level. But even that, I think, might even be a false flag. Not false. It's just that that might even be what the industry is putting out is like because again, normally that would be enough to down the even optional uh, vaccine, much less mandatory. But I think it's the silent killer that's going on that that is much worse than even the myocarditis uh, that's just killing so many more people, particularly uh, vulnerable people. Uh, they were never studied. Those are the people who need it the most, but those are the people who need the protection and the safety the most. And again, all of this could have been avoided. All of this could have been avoided. They could have been given aspirin. They could have been given active form vitamin D. They could have been given prophylactic ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, heck, nitazoxanide. Amazing, amazing uh, results on that. Can't really get a hold of it in America. I'm trying to find the best ways to get it. Um, overseas from Canada or India. Um, some people have sent me things. I just want to vet them. But, you know, there are so many ways we could have dealt with this that are much safer. So we're going to be looking for this. But what's amazing, I, I think the lesson from Dr. Ruby is, getting back to what we started with, this is all happening in plain sight. I mean, heck, I, I was always told that nowadays you can never have a guy just optic-wise that is not healthy as a president. Just you can't get away with it. We have a guy that's half a half vegetable in plain sight, and everyone knows it. And it's just their brains are so saturated and misdirected. He gets away with it. The Democrats get away with it. This stuff is in plain sight going on, and they get away with it. That's what's so crazy about it. You don't even have to speculate on things that we don't yet know about. Although, it's just the fact is, you can no longer rule anything out. Because it's not a matter of an allergic reaction to an inactive ingredient or something. Could be, could be there are a lot of problems with that. But it's what we know that this thing absolutely does do to you. And again, it, it just is very interesting. They're so cagey about the most basic details. And there's no guardrails, no oversight, no regulatory surveillance regime. So we don't know. Are people getting different doses? Are they getting different concoctions? Are some people getting placebos? We just don't know. It's just bizarre. We've never seen anything like this. But now is the time to fight back. You gotta get, calling Congress is a waste of time. If you're in a red state, you gotta get to your governor Get involved in the primaries. Get involved in the state legislatures. Got to get to them. Demand they hold hearings. We have enough experts that are people like Dr. Jane would be amazing. Amazing. Um, at a hearing. As you could tell, there's so much more where that came from. We barely scraped the surface. Um, but we will have her back again. Um, I, I appreciate a lot of you guys are sending me you know, different um ideas for show guests and and they're all great it's just a matter of if 
finding the time, tracking people down, and just too much to talk about, too little time. We'll be back same time, same place tomorrow. Send this show to everyone, everyone you know, thinking of getting a third shot, thinking of, um, you know, again, I'm not judging people who are caught in a position where it's their livelihood or this. I don't know what you do, and that's personal decision. But certainly people are just electing to get another shot, electing to get one, uh, putting this on their kids. Remember, remember, you get COVID, we have a regimen for dealing with it. You get this, I mean, there's people that are trying their best to find anti-inflammatory things and whatever. Ivermectin is one of them, but it depends what it does to you. Um, there's, it's irrevocable harm. So that's something to keep in mind as we pray for guidance from God, pray for help, pray for salvation. We are so outnumbered, outgunned, outmanned, but very possibly we might be finally reaching that cathartic moment that we've been waiting for. Till tomorrow, God bless you all. Thank you for listening.